two hours while you cleaned your room, a job that should have taken 15 minutes. I loved you enough to let you see anger, disappointment, and tears in my eyes. Children must learn that their parents aren't perfect. I loved you enough to let you assume the responsibility for your actions, even when the penalties were so harsh they almost broke my heart. But most of all, I loved you enough to say no when I knew you would hate me for it. Those were the most difficult battles of all. I'm glad I won them because in the end, you won them too. And someday, when your children are old enough to understand the logic that motivates parents, you will tell them, was your mom mean? I know, I know, mine was. We had the meanest mother in the whole world. While other kids ate candy for breakfast, we had, uh, we had to have cereal, eggs, and toast. While others had a Pepsi and a Twinkie for lunch, we had to eat sandwiches. And you can guess our mother fixed, uh, fixed us a dinner that was different from what other kids had also. Mother insisted on knowing where we were at all times. You'd think we were convicts in a prison. She had to know who our friends were and what, we're, what we were going to do with them. She insisted that, we, uh, that if we said we would be gone for an hour, that we'd be gone for an hour or less. We were ashamed to admit it, but she had the nerve to break the child labor laws by making us work. We had to wash dishes, make the beds, learn to cook, vacuum the floor, do laundry, empty the trash, and all sorts of cruel, unhumane jobs. I think, we should, I think she would lie awake at night thinking of more things that we could do. She always insisted on us telling the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And by the time we were teenagers, uh, she could read our minds and had eyes in the back of her head. Now then life was really tough. Her mother wouldn't let our friends just honk the horn when they drove up. They had to come up to the door so she could meet them. While everyone else could date when they were 12 or 13, we had to wait till we were 16. Oh, old, old age. Now that we have left home and we're all educated Honest adults, we're going to be do our we're going to do our best to be mean parents, just like mom was. And I think that's what's wrong with the world today. It just doesn't have enough mean old moms. Amen. Find your prayer needs uh, sheet in your bulletin. Let's uh, talk a little bit about those this morning. Uh, I want to dismiss our little guys to go to class. <coughs> Also, I failed to mention earlier about our uh, connection card. It's on the edge of your bulletin. Be sure and uh, make sure you got that torn off and, and, and passed in. I hope you did that. <clears throat> if you're a first-time guest with us today, we have a book on the back table uh, right in front of the little sign that says first-time guest. That is yours to take. So please, if you're a first-time guest today, stop by there and pick that up on, on your way out. Continue to pray for Terry. Got an update on Tyler. He'll be having surgery June the 7th. Pat told me this morning. And they'll do it in two phases. They'll do the uh, curvature of the uh, of his uh, spine first, and then he'll be in traction for two weeks to kind of keep that straightened out. And as soon as that two weeks passes, then he will go and have the lower back surgery done. So it's going to be quite a tedious, about a month process. He'll be in Plano, Texas. And uh, most of that, well, nearly all that time, he'll be really immobile. So uh, when you're about 19 or 20 years old, immobile is not a word in your vocabulary. So uh, pray for uh, Tyler, for the family, uh, as they get ready for uh, this surgery coming up uh, on the 7th. But his uh, back is in such shape, uh, they just they felt they had to move and get this done uh, on, uh, for him. So be
praying for Tyler as he prepares for uh, that surgery and pray for the doctors as they will minister to him that day. All righty. Uh, are there any others we need to mention this morning? Anybody? Yes, Jerry. Right, Paul, uh, we, we've been praying for Paul, and uh, he lost his battle, Paul Kegley. And so be praying for that family. The, his wife, ex-wife's name was Sherry. All right, be praying for that family this time of loss. And memorial service will be this week, is that right? Anybody else we need to mention this morning? Yes, Sheila. Bonita Smith, be praying for Bonita. Anybody else? Yes, Mark. Uh, Mark uh, was able to raise all the funds he needs to go to Scotland for the summer to intern there, but uh, there's a visa now with the National Homeland Security and those types of issues. He has to have not only a passport, but a visa to get in and out of the country uh, where he is going to go. So be praying that that will come quickly because there's no reason for him to try to buy an airplane ticket until he gets that. Because he'll get over there and they'll send him back. <laughs> Funny how they do that. In other countries, uh, we should maybe try to practice this uh, just, just a thought. <coughs> uh, anybody else? And we are glad to have Mark home. He surprised his mom yesterday. And uh, I was supposed to be surprised, but uh, got leaked out today. Anybody else? He didn't call. We'll not. We'll not reveal the leak. Right, Megan. Megan did. Actually, Kelsey told me. So. Kelsey told me. And, uh, and, uh, any other prayer needs? Let's go back to something a little more serious. All right. Uh, let's uh, spend a few moments of prayer together. And one of the things that we do that's our habit is that we hold hands while we pray. So I would encourage you to reach out and make sure that you're touching somebody as we pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your love for us. I thank you especially for Jesus Christ who died on the cross so that we might have forgiveness of sin. Father, I thank you for all the mothers present today. What a blessing they are. And uh, God, I thank you for them because without their love and their encouragement, uh, most children would really, really suffer. God, I thank you for moms and that uh, unconditional love that they show all the time. And uh, Father, we uh, pray.
praise you for that because you, through them, we see so much of you. I said, God, I thank you for them. Uh, for the uh, for Paul's family, would you bless them and watch over them as they work through this death? Uh, for uh, Sheila's relative, Bonita Smith, would you uh, guide the doctors and help them to make the right decisions uh, that Mark's visa might come through so that he could uh, then fulfill this trip for this summer to Scotland? Uh, continue to pray for Terry that you will <clears throat> find a bone marrow match for him and that he can have that surgery very soon. And, uh, Lord, we, we definitely put uh, Tyler at the top of our list, uh, young man, as he uh, gets ready for this surgery. <clears throat> what a, a delicate surgery it will be, and yet, Father, one that I know the doctors uh, feel confident they can do or they wouldn't even try it. But as he has to lay uh, motionless for so long, would you give him uh, patience as he does that? And God, we love you, and we thank you, and we look forward to what you might do today through our service. We give you complete freedom to move and do what you need to do. Jesus' name. All God's people say <clears throat> amen and amen. At the end of service, um, when we're done, if uh, there's some extra carnations up here, if you have a grandmother or a, a mom that you want to take that to uh, for lunch today, please feel free to come and, and to get those and uh, take them away. We'd love for you to do that. All right. Have your Bibles and hold them up. If you don't grab a hymn book, make it look good. Huh? I'm a child of God have in my hand the powerful word of God can change lives heal broken hearts save man's soul here's our prayer Lord Jesus today speak to me in Jesus name amen now stand up and go hug and howdy about 20 people right quick here we go you thought I forgot <laughs> You know if I hear anything.
seated. All right. Here we roll. Good morning. much love. I think this is the only love some of y'all get through the week. It's my fault. I'm sorry. All right. You may be seated. Maybe. <laughs> I wanted to take just a moment and have uh, Shelby and Audrey just stand up right where they are for today anyway. And I want them to kind of hold up hold up Addison so you can see her. She's still kind of hooked up to a monitor and all that stuff, but hopefully you can kind of get a gander of her. We'll, we'll do a little bit more formal introduction here in a few weeks, but uh, she's uh, progressing along very well. What, what, what's she up to? Six and a half pounds, maybe. Sound like a bass or something, doesn't it? Six and a half pounds. Well, she, I tell you what, that's a little hungry jack over there. I'm telling you. I've watched her eat before. She, she hooks up and goes. Here we go. So, she loves that formula. She does, she does. Most kids do, don't they? Most little babies, they love that food. I never stop. That's my problem. <clears throat> I want to also, we want to congratulate uh, Miranda and the lady soccer team here at uh, Jinx. Had a phenomenal year, and uh, as, as can happen in any uh, sporting event, uh, on any day, a team can be beat. But boy, they were a joy to watch, and, and I just want to compliment her, and, and uh, you give her a hand. She did a great job playing this year, and uh, that was awesome. I got to watch the game Tuesday night, and uh, they, they beat the team eight to nothing, but I'm telling you, at least five of those scores were because of the setups that she did. They were, it was amazing. It was amazing. I kept asking Marlo, I said, how does she kick the ball like that? And Marlo goes, it's just no big deal. I said, okay. I asked Jeff, I said, how do they run down the field full speed with a ball between their feet? Now, that doesn't make any sense either. I'd want to grab it and run with it. <laughs> that's, that's my deal. Happy Mother's Day again. So glad you're here. We're going to finish up our uh, series, uh, One Month to Live, and I hope that you've taken that challenge and taken it to heart. I do have a few extra books left in the back if you want to pick up one of those. Uh, there's some bookmarks that are free and a couple of wristbands that are free. If you want to take those as reminders to keep your focus on uh, the challenge of One Month to Live, what would you do if you had 30 days to live? What difference would it make? What impact would that make in your heart and in your life? Would you do anything different? It's a great thing to challenge yourself with, and I would encourage you to do that. But we conclude our, our series uh, this morning, and uh, my prayer is, and I'm glad that all of you are here and you're alive and you're kicking and you're doing well, and my prayer is that you'll last a long, 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 long time. Amen? And uh, like one old boy said, well, preacher, we're all ready to go to heaven, but if you're taking a punch of tickets, I'll wait for the second load to go. So um, amen for that. Somebody said, your life is a gift from God. What you do with it 
is your gift to God. Isn't that great? So if you've taken this challenge, you've made some significant changes in your life. If I were limited to one thing to take from this series, I would want you to take away from this a reigniting of the passion to live. Reignite your passion to live. I would hope that you would take that away. Our verse is John 10, 10. We were going to read it together earlier, but let's go ahead and read it now. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give life in all its fullness. Now, there's other variations and versions that you've read that in, but I want you for a moment on your outline to circle the word life. Circle the word life in that verse on your outline. Jesus said, my purpose is to give you and me, give us life, to give us zest for living, to give us enthusiasm for life, fill us with passion. Doctors today are always trying to come up with new medicines to add years to our lives so that we can live longer. Jesus said, I have come not to add years to your life, but to add life to your years. He says, I want you to live a passionate life so that you have no regrets. The verse not only tells me that Jesus had a purpose for my life, but it also points out that Satan has a purpose for our life. His purpose is to steal away that passion. He wants to kill the dreams that we have. He wants to destroy any love and relationships that we have. He's always working to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's his plan. That's his purpose. That what, that, that's really what he's all about. But God has a wonderful plan for our life. He wants to fill our lives with passion so that we can live the life the way it was meant to be lived. But Satan is always trying to steal that passion. Would you also circle in that verse the word thief? Because he is a thief. He's a passion thief. He's always trying to steal a little bit of passion from our lives. And he uses the stresses and the problems and the pressures of life to absolutely drain us of passion. Maybe today you're asking, Pastor, I've sort of lost that zeal for life. Nothing really gets me excited anymore. Nothing really motivates me. The problems and the stresses, they're taking their toll on me. I don't have a whole lot of passion right now. So how do you restore that passion? How do you regain it? How do you live it? How do you get with it? Well, I'm going to need some help. Could I get somebody or a couple of people to help me pass out some puzzles? Can I get a witness? Ah, here's one. I need one more. Who help me? Ah, here comes ah, boy, little track come back in the back row. Everybody, just make sure everybody gets one of those. There should be plenty, because as as the box says, there's a thousand pieces in there, and I, I think we're a little short of a thousand today. But I want everybody to have a piece of this, and you'll see why later on in the sermon. But I want you to. Hang on to this, okay, when they get it to you. I'm going to keep on going while 
while they're doing that. Now, I'm not a jigsaw puzzle guy. When I look at that picture on this box, I'm going, wow. And when you have a jigsaw puzzle with a thousand pieces, what first thing you do is you do what? Spread them out. And you start looking for the ones that connect, don't you? Or you get the corners, the borders, the edges, right? But the one, then you start to connect them, right? And after you really get into it, it's one of those things you can't quit. You just keep working at it. You say, my gosh, I'm going to finish that thing. And you go at it with passion. And if I had a table stretched out up here and I said, okay, everybody, bring a piece. Let's start working on this puzzle. I'll bet you in a short amount of time, because of the passion that some of you have, we'd get that puzzle done, wouldn't we? In fact, some of you say, forget you, preacher. I'm going to listen. I'm going to put this puzzle together right here. And, and we've got a whole, we've got a few more pieces left. So, you know, hey, you can come and do it. But the good news is, to restore passion in your life only takes four pieces of the puzzle. To put this picture together would take a thousand pieces. But it only takes four. Four pieces to the puzzle. And I want to do it with an acrostic as you see there on your outline, called life. What's the first piece? The letter L stands for love. Love is the foundational piece to restoring passion in the puzzle of your life. It fuels the fire, the passion in a marriage relationship. When you first are getting married or you're, you're dating and you're thinking about getting married, there's a lot of passion, isn't there? There he is. You see it in her eyes. You can see it in her eyes. I was watching a, a, a video clip last week of uh, a marriage series that uh, I'm looking at. And in there it has this, uh, young, this young couple, and it says the first uh, frame is newlyweds. And it shows she's standing there, and she go, looks at him, and she goes, Do I look fat in this? Now, those of you who have been married longer than a day understand that that is the most deadly question to try to answer. And it's really one of those that if you answer it, you're dead anyway. But the, the young guy looks over at her and he goes, Wow, you have never looked that way. Next scene. Do I look fat in this? Oh, then he flashed up newlywed. Then, then, then the next scene is, Do I look fat? Do I look fat in this? And he looks over and he goes, well, you know, there is. We do have a gym membership. And then it flashes up, been married a while. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, you lose the passion, don't you? Something happens to that passion in those relationships. We lose productivity in workplaces. They did a study, a cross-section over, over a 20-year period, a cross-section of American workers, and, and in, that, in, in, in that study, the conclusion came, if you do what you love to do long enough, success comes. It's wonderful if you can do what you do and make a living at it with something that you really enjoy doing and you love doing it. I've had people say, Pastor, do you get tired of ministry? I get tired in ministry, not of ministry. Big difference, isn't it? And there is a difference between passion 
in lust. So often people are in lust when they believe they're in passion and in lust. And the difference between passion and lust is when you have a passion for something, the more you do it, the more satisfied you are. But with lust, the more you do it, the less satisfied you are. Lust leaves you empty. Passion comes out of love. And unselfish love. Lust comes out of selfishness. But there's a lot of people today who confuse the two. They continue to lust and love. A lot of the love songs that are written, they're about lust, not really love. Just listen to the words. Listen to the message. That's why so many magazines start out with sizzling stories and fizzle later on. Marriages are the same way. They, come, they, they start out sizzling hot and then they fizzle. Why is that? Because we lose passion. And the passion dies out. It happens a lot in marriages. It reminds me of the couple that went to the doctor because the husband had been having some health problems and the doctor came back with the test results and he said, I'm sorry to tell you this, but sir, it looks like you only have six months left to live. He says, I, I would like to talk to your wife alone. So the guy goes out to the car to wait and the doctor says to the wife, ma'am, I, I really think your husband could live a lot longer if you would do two things. If you would feed him three healthy meals a day and make love to him every night. Well, the wife goes back out to the car and the husband is obviously waiting anxiously and says, well, what did the doctor say? And the wife looks at her husband, looks him right in the eye, and she says, well, he says that you're going to die. Why is it that the passion goes out of our marriages so quickly? It starts out passionate, but then goes away. It's because we've got to get back to the root of what caused the passion in the first place. That foundational piece to the passion puzzle, that fuel that fires the passion in a marriage relationship, it's a love. It's love. In fact, John describes it best in Revelation 2, verses 4 and 5. He says, you have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. The real problem is that most people don't know what love is. Most people think that love is just a feeling that you feel. People who talk about just falling in love like it's a ditch or something. You can fall in, you can fall out, you can't help that you're just walking along and pow, you fall in. Love is not a feeling, love is a choice. Love is an action. It produces powerful feelings, but it's not a feeling. So many people today think love is a feeling, and when the feeling's gone, well, then they fall out of love. That's not it at all. Love is an action, the Bible says. Love is a choice. And when you do these actions and when you make that choice, it produces powerful, passionate feelings. It says in this verse, Revelation 2, 4, and 5, that you have to get back to your first love. Do those things you did at the first. When you had passion in that relationship, what was it that caused it in the, at the very beginning? the onset. Get back and do that. Get back and do it. 
because we've got to do it. Rather than worrying about the feelings, most people say, I just don't feel in love anymore. They're just wanting those feelings to come back. How am I going to do it? And then a lot of people will say, you know, even with the relationship with God, they've slipped away. But what are the things that caused you to not feel in love with God again? When you consider the relationship between you and God, who moved? Who changed? Did, did you or did God? And the things that made your relationship with God so passionate at one time was that you spent time with Him, right? I mean, you were hungry. You couldn't get enough Bible study. You couldn't get enough of the Word. You couldn't get enough of the praise music. You couldn't get enough of being in fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. And the second thing is that you, you told everybody. You told everybody about your newfound relationship. You told everybody. I'm telling you, it's just like a human relationship. When you fall in love with somebody, it's obvious. It's all over you. And when you've fallen out of love with them, it's all over you too. I go heckle and jekyll. Those two guys on Muppet set up in the balcony. <laughs> yeah. How sad that we get that way. And especially when we get that way with God. So the foundational piece of the passion puzzle is love. The second piece is the letter I, which stands for integrity. Integrity is simply integrating what I say I believe into my daily life. Into my daily actions. And the opposite of integrity is compartmentalizing my life. Men are masters at compartmentalizing. They are. They can do this right here and turn right over here and do this right here. They can be at church praising God and then the next moment kill somebody on the street. They just turn, they just turn that off and turn that on. Turn that off and turn that on. Turn that off and turn that on. With women, it blends together. Men don't really worry about whether it hurts your feelings. They just go ahead and say it and do it anyway. Women, they're going to think about the ramifications of everything that you say and do, and anytime you do it, right? That's it. A great example. You can be driving down the road. Man and woman sitting in a car driving down the road. Woman's going to look over and she'll say, like during the fall when the, when the trees are changing, she'll look and she'll see all the vivid colors that are out there on the landscape. And she'll say, do you see all those colors? And he's going, where? Because what's he focused on? I've got to get from point A to point B, and I've got a, I've got a road to get on here, and I'm, I'm driving. I can't be distracted. Now, if you stop the car, made him get out, and look at the tree, he'd go, and then get in the car, and get back, you see. When men, when men buy clothing, they call ahead. They're looking for a dress shirt. They call ahead, make sure they got the color, got the size, got the price. Put it on hold for me. I'll be right there in 30 minutes. Woman goes in. There, there's no calling ahead. She's looking at the rack, rifles through every piece of clothing on the rack. Even the sizes that don't fit her, won't even be close to fit her, she's going to rifle through them anyway. Just because the colors look good. Then she'll get that one and she'll hold it up like this. And when she does, her eyes go beyond the, the, the shirt or the blouse over to the other side of the store. And a pair of trousers just, it's like they lift 
And she goes, ah, off they go. And then what happened? They turned this way to the accessory aisle. Go watch a woman shop. They ain't no passion. Integrity causes us to live life consistently. Mark 12:30 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Would you in that verse on your outline circle all the words all? All the words that are all in your outline. He wants every bit that you have. What's our tendency? To give him leftovers. Give him leftovers. Nothing frustrates us more than when we say that we believe something, but we don't live it out in our lives. It frustrates me. When I say I want better health, but I don't do, I don't eat right, I don't exercise enough. It frustrates me when I, my blood sugars won't stay normal. Why? Because I don't eat right. Hello. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. So what frustrates you? What have you lost passion about in your life? And why is it that we have to wait till we get a sentence from the doctor that says if you don't change this? until we're back in the corner. But we all do. We've got to understand that passion can be drained out of us. It can be stolen if we lack integrity. Now, the third piece of the passion puzzle, really important piece, the letter F stands for forgiveness. You ever been having a great day? Good day. Get to work. Get up and see your spouse. They say one thing. What happens? You come from here to here instantly. That one person can say it. Because see, you don't see this person at work very often, but just sure enough, on that day, you're having a great day, man. The sun is up. I'm shining. Yeah, you're ready to go. Huh? Got, a, got a quick step going. Hey, yeah, you walk in the door, and they're there. And they go, what? You're shot for the day. They don't even have to say a, word, a sentence. They go, what? You're done. Why? Because you let them have that power. You let them have that power. You let them have the power. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is a powerful tool. We have arguments with spouses. It, it just drains the passion quicker than anything. Unresolved conflict will just drain. Job 5 and verse 2, Surely resentment destroys the fool and jealousy kills the simple. Circle the words resentment and jealousy in that verse. Those two things will steal passion quicker than anything else. God wants us to learn to forgive others, not to let them off the hook, but for our own sake. 
God doesn't expect you and me to look at a person who's hurt us and hurt us deeply and just go, oh, never happened. We're not wired that way. I have the potential to be wired that way, but I'm not wired that way now. I'm not like Jesus. I can't look down from the cross and say, forgive them. The guy that beat me just, just 10 minutes ago, I don't think so. The guys that stretched my arm out and drove a nail in my hands, I don't think so. If I had commanded 10,000 angels, trust me, I would have used them. Amen? You would have too. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. He learned the power of forgiveness. But you see, when we learn that aspect of forgiveness, that it's more for me than it is for my letting somebody else off the hook, got a video I want you to see related to this. I don't want to have a regrets life. When I get to be 80 or 90, I want to look back and say I really lived. When I heard about the 30-day challenge, I thought, what things do I need to change in my life to really live like I want to live? And um, the first I thought thing I thought of was the one thing I didn't want to do the most, which was forgive my ex-husband for leaving me and to be a single mom of a little bitty kid. And, and that was actually one of the first things I did. And that made a big, big difference. So I would encourage anyone doing this to really, really take it to heart, internalize it, and make it real, make it a part of your life. For me, it was forgiving people I thought had harmed me or had harmed me, letting it go and finding peace with all these situations in my life that I didn't like. And it was also finding joy and happiness in the little things like eating dinner with my little girl at our door of the explorer table i mean how much simpler can it be and how much more wonderful can that be coloring with her playing with our little um, play-doh i mean little bitty things i've learned to take to heart so i would encourage people just to look on the website because it's awesome read the book I'm sure it's going to be great and really internalize it and make it your own and really really do it and really i sat down and i really looked at all the different things I would want to do if I only seriously knew I had 30 days to live, um, what would I change? And it was a lot of forgiveness, and it was a lot of finding joy and peace and happiness in the little things, the everyday little things. I've really learned to enjoy every single moment I have with my little girl. Even if I have 30 more years to go, she's only going to be two once, and I only have this little moment with her. So even though I'm a single mom and I'm on a commission income, so the more I work, the more money I make, it doesn't matter. I've turned that over to God, and I spend, I, I leave as late as possible, and I pick her up as early as possible, and I spend as much time with her because she's what's really important. If I only had 30 days left to live, I would literally just quit my job and wish them all well in a nice, sweet way and be done with it. I would spend it all with my kids, so why should I spend all of the time I have while she's too working? It just doesn't make any sense to me. And so I started journaling for my daughter. If I only had 30 days to go, I would want to leave a legacy for her. I want her to have a God that she can lean on. She won't have a mom if I'm not here. I want her to have a God that she can lean on. I'm journaling to her the things that happen to me in everyday life and how God helps me through those situations or how God is there for me to help me rejoice in the things that are wonderful. I just had a girlfriend who had a 19-year-old who died out of the blue. She was in a car accident. She was 19 years old on a regular old Saturday night. You never, ever know how much time you have. So I think this is a good opportunity to take the time we have and really live it. 
Well, I would encourage everyone to go look at the website, onemonthtolive.com, because it's amazing. I've, uh, the sound bites on there, the blogs people have left, it just absolutely touched my heart. So I would encourage everyone to go see the website, and I would also encourage everyone to read the book. We have to learn to forgive. So many times we carry around resentment and bitterness hurt, we carry it around, we hold on to it, we hate it, it steals our passion. The person that hurt us could care less. They could care less. It doesn't hurt them a bit. And we're not getting back at them by holding on to that resentment. It's, it's only hurting us and it drains us of the passion for life. And when you have a conflict with somebody and something's not right and you don't resolve it, you don't work toward resolving it, 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 it steals your passion. Jesus is probably the greatest example for us. As I mentioned earlier, he hung from the cross and said, Father, forgive them because they really don't know what they're doing. How did he do that? How did he have such passion? You know, Mel Gibson produced a, a movie called The Passion of the Christ. Probably one of the most realistic portrayals of Christ's death. It's brutal. I, I don't know if you've seen it or not. If you haven't, you ought to rent it and see it. It'll, it'll open your eyes how he was treated. Because you see, Jesus hanging from the cross understood that love was not a feeling. Love was an action. He gave us the most that he, that he had, and that was his whole life as he died on the cross. And it amazes me in America today that it's okay to be passionate about everything except God. Now, I'm a sporting fan. I love sports. I thought I could be a coach in sports, but my wife pointed out to me that I, there's something changes in me when I get to be on the field. And I start acting in a way I shouldn't act and saying things I shouldn't say, and my voice gets really, really loud. And she said, you know what, you're going to have a heart attack. And I said, well, you're probably right. So I backed out of that, and I became a spectator, and I've enjoyed it much more. Because it's really not about how I see it or how I view it. I look at men like Tom Landry, one of the greatest coaches I think ever coached football. He never really said a whole lot. Had a little hat on, he wore all the time. And uh, he just went about his business. I admire people like that. I've tried to pattern my life that way. But you know, we get crazy. We call them fans if they if they go nuts and paint themselves in all kinds of colors and put rainbow in their hairs and all that stuff. And yet if you get excited and enthusiastic about Jesus, you're a fanatic. You're a radical. There's something strange about you, something weird about you. You know what? I we need to have more passionate believers. We need to be passionate about our Jesus and passionate about our God. Now let's look at the fourth piece of the puzzle. Letter E stands for enthusiasm. To live a life with no regrets, I need enthusiasm. Emerson said, nothing great ever happens without enthusiasm in life. There's two Greek words that make up this word enthusiasm. There's the word in and theos. Theos means is the Greek word for God. In is simply means literally in. So literally, God within. God within. The, and that word enthusiasm should permeate each of us. Because if God lives in us, it ought to be obvious. Amen? 
You ought to shout amen because he loves us. He cares about us. And we ought to be the most enthusiastic people, we believers, because God is within us. Boy, we're not so passionate, are we? If we get passionate, people are going to look at us funny. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Be passionate about it, Paul's saying here. If you can't be passionate about it, then just don't do it. If you can't be passionate about being a believer and being a Christian, then quit calling yourself one and quit being one because you're ruining it for the rest of us that are trying hard. My pastor, you don't understand. My job is mundane. But if you realize that Jesus... God is your boss. You can do anything with passion. Because He's watching. He's watching. He's watching. And the sad part is when we do our job with excellence, the next guy to me isn't doing his with excellence. He's doing everything he, he can to skirt through and just eat by. It seems like he's getting more promotion than you are who's working the hardest. Have I hit home? That's what happens in relationships, doesn't it? One of you's working harder than the other one. The other one's taking, 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 not giving, 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 giving. Wouldn't it be great if you set up every day and tried to outgive each other? Wouldn't that be awesome? Like, oh, you're not going to outgive me today. Oh, no, you're not. Uh-uh. I'm all over you today. Wouldn't that be fun? I mean, it would just be awesome. It would be awesome. Except we get up now, what do we do? I think most men love that movie because of the, of the uh, role that Russell Crowe played, uh, uh, played called Max. Women like it because of Russell Crowe's. But he, Maximus was a great general in Rome, a man of integrity, and he had great love in his heart. He loved his family with all of his heart. He loved his men. He served them with all of his heart. They respected him, and they would even die for him. He was a man of passion. And if you know the story, you know how the evil emperor came and killed his family and enslaved him and he eventually became a gladiator. And Maximus defied the whole Roman Empire as a, gladi a gladiator because he was a man of integrity. All the other gladiators would do what the emperor wanted just so they could have freedom. Maximus, he could care less about pleasing the emperor because he had integrity. He could care less about pleasing powerful people. He had integrity. And while everyone else was trying to please the crowd, Maximus could care less about the crowd. He didn't care what the crowd thought about him. He was a man of great integrity. And when the emperor would hold his thumb up to live or thumb down, Maximus would do, he'd just let the guy live. Because the emperor knew it pleased the crowd to watch somebody get killed and bludgeon to death. And they would yell, Maximus, Maximus, Maximus. They loved him because he was courageous. He, he didn't have any fear of death. He loved something more than his own life. He loved that family that he lost and he loved Rome and he wanted to return Rome to those glory days. He wasn't afraid to die. He was courageous. Had no fear. Mighty, fighting gladiator with no fear because he loved something 
a lot more than himself. Why does every man want to be like Maximus? Because God's placed in all of our hearts to really want to be that way. Men, we want to live a life of integrity. We want to live a life of honesty. And we want to be trusted. We want to be respected for our integrity. Does character matter? You better believe. It's the only thing you get to take to heaven with you, your character. That's who you are. Gladiator fights for his family, puts family above self, not afraid of anything. That's the maximum life. But I find myself not being like Maximus a lot. I find myself placing my desires in my heart above anything else and anybody else. And that passion that I used to have is drained. went through a lot for us. I've got a video I want you to watch and help you realize this.
wants to fill us up with passion. Throughout the New Testament, Jesus said, I'm the living water. If you'll drink my cup, you'll never thirst again. He'll fill you up. If you're hungry, he'll feed you. If you're in prison, he'll visit you. How passionate is he about you? How passionate are you about him? Earlier I gave you a little puzzle piece. And I want you to use that puzzle piece to be reminded of God's love for you. The worship team comes to help me close. Father, I ask you this morning that we live a no regrets life. Kind of life that you created us to live. A life of love, integrity, and forgiveness and enthusiasm. God, would you be real in each person's life today? Would you be real in each heart today? And God, we praise you and honor you and thank you for who you are and what you are and what you've done for us. If there's somebody here today that needs to make a decision, God, would they come and be this man? Amen. Great song. Let's sing.